and welcome to Safety Wars for Friday, May 12th, 2023. Uh, before I go on, I wanted to, uh, I were, came on a little bit late here. I uh, wanted to point out that the uh, podcast you were listening to that we preempted is PA uh, Pre-Accident Investigation Pod 158 by Todd Conklin. Uh, the guest was Bill Hoyle. Very, very informative uh, podcast. Huge, hugely uh, informative. I'm, I'll uh, uh, post that on LinkedIn for uh, everybody. Uh, went into a lot of information there, especially on regulatory differences uh, between uh, the UK and the United States. And he talked about... Uh, it was an older podcast, uh, but ver- still very relevant, very informative. Talking about the border horizon, talking about uh, uh, the BP disaster in 2005 in Texas City, Texas. So anyway, hi. How's everybody doing? Yeah, I've uh, had a lot of stuff going on in the last... Uh, Two or three days here. Wasn't able to get on on Wednesday or Thursday. I'm here today. Try to be on tomorrow. Missed a lot of good news out there. Uh, I had a family member uh, sick, going in for surgery, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So family comes first. How's everybody doing? What did we miss? We're going to talk a little bit about that this week. Or today. So, uh, I'm going to start out with a regular OSHA news. Federal court finds U.S. Postal Service wrongfully fired an employee who reported a workplace injury and violated federal worker protections. Protections. U.S. Department of Labor investigation determined UPS retaliated against a former Tacoma worker. A federal court in Tacoma has ruled that the U.S. Postal Service retaliated against an employee who reported an injury to supervisors and applied for workers' compensation benefits in 2019 while on probation as a new postal employee. The court's action follows an investigation by OSHA that found the USPS terminated the worker in retaliation for filing an injury report. The agency also determined that UPS stopped conducting performance uh, Evaluations and fired the worker before the end of their new hire probation. Termination violated the OSH Act, which protects employees' right to report any injury without fear of reprisal. In March 2022, the department's office for the solicitor filed a lawsuit against USPS seeking lost wages, reinstatement, and the employee's records expunged. In addition, the department sought a court order requiring the USPS to train its supervisors on federal whistleblower protections. It posted a notice at its Tacoma facilities detailing uh, employees' rights protections under the OSH Act. I had a, a conversation with somebody today specifically on this. So we have a, a situation, especially with the smaller businesses, when, when the Gouverneau hits the fan, so to speak, the, uh, how do you manage an accident? How do you manage an incident? Who's on your side? 
Well, I can be on your site. Give us a call, 845-269-5772, or send me an, e- send me an email at jim at safetywars.com. Because there are procedures you follow with this. They're not too hard, but we can hold a safety training class for you. So, for example, what would that be? It would be basically everything included in the first hour of an OSHA outreach course normally on introduction to OSHA and about three or four hours on top of that, how you manage this stuff. Why it's important to get outside help, when to get outside help, and everything else. Now, that all of that stuff is extremely important with this. Department of Labor finds Texas Children's Hospital failed to protect employees after a security guard suffers serious assault by a patient. So this is a children's hospital? I don't know. We need more context here. U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration determined that the hospital exposed employees who worked with patients with behavioral health issues to physical threats and assaults. On November 10, 2022, an aggressive patient pulled a security guard to the ground by the hair and kicked them repeatedly in the chest and abdomen. The officer, who was responding to an alert, lost consciousness and was taken to an emergency room and hospitalized. OSHA found that the employer had inadequate policies and procedures to protect employees from physical assaults by patients who exhibited violent behavior during medical surveillance and treatment. Proposed penalties were about $15,625. And we had spoken about this earlier this week uh, on this. Workplace violence, just as many uh, deaths uh, some years from workplace violence than from falls from height statistic and where are most of those injuries and fatalities something like 50 percent of them and more are in the healthcare industry that are uh, similar uh, uh, in action you know this is a similar thing now I, they have a uh, certification of uh, you know again oh they changed their form slightly here I don't know why Here. Okay, so here we have uh, the citation letter right here. So citation one, item one, typhus violation serious. On or about November 10th, a security officer was dragged to the ground and right, they have the facts, right? Repeatedly while assisting a patient sitter with an aggressive patient. So uh, the employer, this was type, uh, citation one, item one, uh, Typhus violation was serious. The employer did not furnish is a general duty clause violation here. The employer did not furnish employment and a place of employment which were free from recognized hazards that were like or causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm. I see. Now, we had uh, one week last week on fall protection in construction industry. Why aren't we seeing that here with these employees with these people i don't know that's a very good question to ask maybe uh that's worth a uh letter to my congressperson mike lawler see where we go with that or uh my senator one no one or both my senators on or about november 10th uh 2022 dragged to the ground so among other methods feasible remember you for a uh general duty clause violation 
you need to have a couple of things. Uh, so you need four elements, and, and it has to be an and, not all four. I shouldn't print this out, throw it up on the wall here, right? The employer failed to keep the workplace free from a recognized hazard to which its employees were exposed. The hazard was recognized by the employer. The hazard was caused, uh, was causing or was likely to cause death or serious physical harm, and there was a feasibility and useful method for the hazard, right? Uh, so let's go back. So there was no specific OSHA regulation on this. Probably this there needs to be some type of a uh, regulation. So you have to prove all four of those elements. So conduct a, uh, what among other methods, feasible and acceptable means of abatement would be to conduct a hazard analysis, right? And uh, try de-escalation techniques, right? right? Risk of uh, assessing the risk of uh, patient on staff violence. Update, implement, and communicate. And is number two, work-specific workplace violence policies and procedures that include a workplace violence coordinator who is known to employees and manager, clearing consistent procedures for requesting assistance, ensuring employees are informed of and trained on the correct procedures, and employee participation participation in meetings and identifying controls to address workplace violence. A system for tracking and investing, investigating everything. And it goes on and on and on. So, uh, again, they're getting involved into uh, an area that a lot of people feel they shouldn't, which is uh, actually assessing these patients and everything else as far as their threats, right? And uh, they have another, uh, they have uh, nine abatement methods here. They're looking at a $15,625 fine proposed. OSHA to hold public meeting on June 15 to discuss modernizing, improving, and expanding its voluntary protection programs. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration will hold a stakeholder meeting on Thursday, June 15 in Washington, D.C. to discuss modernizing, improving, and expanding the VPP programs. Established in 1982, OSHA's VPP, Voluntary uh, protection program recognizes workplaces uh, that demonstrate best practices in health and safety management. And, and they want suggestions and everything else. So OSHA is interested in the following things. I'm not going to read through all of them, but you, you can check it out on the uh, website here. Uh, do do What is working well with VPP? What could be improved? What has not worked well? Right? Uh, what, to what extent does OSHA's recognition as a VPP participate, motivate organizations to improve safety and health? Is the existing exemption from program inspections an effective motivator, or, and are they sufficient? They're asking questions on the uh, safety and health management system effectiveness. Uh, on here. Uh, rather, you know, looking for a lot, of, there's a lot of meat in here. Just take a look at it on uh, the news releases here. Federal court issues consent judgment requiring Luzerne County manufacturer to pay a former employee $13,000 in a whistleblower case. Department of Labor alleges a certain company owner violated whistleblower protections. 
you're going on again. Uh, OSHA not only uh, deals with, uh, and again, this had to be with a complaint that they had uh, lodged in there, and uh, right, the company, the safety complaint with, an o- with OSHA allegedly was reported to OSHA allegedly the company did not provide employees with PPE and lack required lockout, tagout procedures. OSHA conducted safety inspection issued citations to the employer. And basically, uh, they uh, they terminated the employer employee. Basically, so what does it come down to? This is another case of employer not getting proper training, not motivating its management. The management probably didn't know anything. Pardon me, what was going on? at this facility when it came to this no procedures in place $13,000 I can tell you that it's much cheaper to get the training from the management than to pay a $13,000 fine and by the way if they by chance screw this up again it's going to be a lot more because it'll be a repeat sort of thing and let's remember OSHA is in charge of whistleblower protections for like 20 different federal laws most of which have nothing to do with uh, occupational safety and health. Okay. Uh, hold on. EPA and Northeastern Illinois University partnered to increase environmental career opportunities for students. Today, the U.S. EPA announced a memorandum of understanding with Northeastern Illinois University, this is from yesterday, that will help increase environmental knowledge, research, and community engagement while providing enhanced, I don't know why I'm so thirsty today, uh, academic and career opportunities for students from historically underrepresented groups. EPAs, partnerships with higher education institutions are invaluable to our work in protecting public health and the environment. So here's uh, EPA announces a $48 million settlement for cleanup of the Olin Chemical Superfund site in Wilmington, Massachusetts. U.S. EPA uh, today announced a proposed consent decree with four parties responsible for contamination at the Olin Chemical Superfund site in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Under the agreement, American Built Right Incorporated, Noram Agro LLC, Olin Corporation, Seven Company will address areas of soil sediment and surface water contamination on, our, on and around the former Olin property and implement an interim cleanup plan for groundwater and an estimated cost of $48 million. And you can check that out on the epa.gov website under the press releases. EPA proposes new carbon pollution standards for fossil fuel fired power plants to tackle the climate tra- crisis and protect public health. New proposed standards for coal and natural gas fired power plants would avoid more than 600 million metric tons of carbon dioxide pollution while also preventing 300,000 asthma attacks and 1,300 premature deaths in 2030 alone. Uh, Basically, $85 million is uh, basically... uh, 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 It's going to deliver $85 million in climate health benefits and health uh, benefits over the next two decades, this proposal. 
So what, what's the other cost here? 1300 for premature deaths, 800 hospital and emergency room visits, and this is one year alone, 300,000 cases of asthma attacks, 38,000 school absences, and 666,000 lost work days. And, uh, right? This hits a little bit closer to home for me. EPA seeks feedback, public feedback on new cleanup plan for monitoring uh, for monitoring devices in corporate inter-circuits incorporated Superfund site in the Wall Town in Wall Township, New Jersey. So, uh, just to give you a little bit of history here. Uh, South Jersey, up until fairly recently, was very very rural. So, what ended up happening was uh, a lot of hazardous waste sites down there. And since it's very, it's unconsolidated sandy soil down there, you're going to have one of these sites. It's going to be a lot of water pollution. So there's going to be a public meeting on May 25th. Uh, there is a, the uh, US EPA uh, is seeking public input on its proposed cleanup plan to use a process called chemical oxidation to address recently discovered 1,4-dioxane groundwater contamination. Again, uh, that is a chlorinated uh, solvent there, I believe. Usually they use uh, permanganate to clean this up in the groundwater. It's contamination like that, like what they're uh, doing. And it's actually pretty cool to see because once you, one, when you go and they dump the permanganate in there, it's like uh, out of a laboratory when you try to do a water sample. It's like bubbling and everything. It's sort of like by seltzer water. Now, uh, this is in Singapore. Our, uh, to our listeners in Singapore, you're going to say, well, Jim, Singapore, you got listeners in Singapore? Yeah, we have listeners in Singapore uh, because I cover, uh, uh, I like the way their articles. Uh, this is from the Straits Times, and I have to uh, compliment them. Their articles are very good when they're covering health and safety uh, issues here. Uh no, I, really, they're really good articles here. Uh, two workers had a close call yesterday morning. That's Thursday. After the they're calling in a gondola, but it's actually a suspended scaffold. Is what we were calling in this country. And we're coming up uh, later this month on an anniversary for uh, for me professionally. I believe it's fifteen years where uh, one of my clients had a uh, double fatality on a suspended scaffolding. So we're, two workers had a close call on Thursday morning after the gondola, they were tipped, they were tipped sideways. The uh, Singapore Civil Defense Force said it received a call for assistance. In response to the queries, the Singapore Civil Defense Force said a worker was seen on the ledge of a 15-story uh, building uh, beside a lopsided gondola, and he was brought in safely through the windows of the closest unit by its officers. So let's talk about suspended scaffolding. Uh, every uh, couple of months, it seems that there is a suspended scaffolding collapse. So what's required for suspended scaffolding? If you're in a big city like New York, often they have, New York has its own licensing stuff for suspended scaffolding. And what's required? You need to have, uh, you can't overload it, number one. Number two, it has to be assembled by under the direction of a competent person in accordance to manufacturer's uh, requirements and standards. So whatever that instruction manual is, you gotta, you got to read it. 
You got to understand it. You need to set it up according to that, uh, whatever that instruction manual says. Another thing, right? Another thing on that uh, suspended scaffolding, you need to ha- be tied off. This is where a lot of people make a mistake with fall protection. They have to be in a harness and it has to be independent of the scaffold. So, for example, if the scaffold collapses, you're not pulled down with it. And what are we talking about? An anchorage point, a, uh, a lanyard, and a harness. The other thing is this, with this, you can't overload it. So oftentimes painters will overload these things inadvertently because the paint is very heavy, especially if you're dealing with an epoxy paint, two-part epoxy, tends to get very heavy, very quick. Uh you have to have a drop zone underneath it is another thing. You have to make sure that those motors that raise and lower the suspended scaffolding, right? The motors, right? That prevent it from going this way or that way that come up quick on the right level. You have to make sure that those are in correct working order. They've been inspected because I'm going to tell you, I know through experience here with all of this, uh, My back is starting to hurt here. I know through experience, unfortunately, the first question, and you can have bodies laying on the ground. Yes, you can have bodies laying on the ground. It's the first question that's going to be asked. Was that inspected? Who's the competent person? All of that goes into that. You're going to say, well, Jim, that's morbid, that's baloney, that's that you know the whole nine yards not uh, it's what happens you don't want to be on the opposite end of this no I don't have my stuff together really now let's talk about the employee that gets hurt or killed you want to make sure that everything is in working order it's your best in, in your best interest to make sure everything is in working order to protect yourself Make sure you make it home alive. Because I tell you what, a lot of the companies, this is a joke for whatever reason. And if you're in states like New York, right, you're involved in the scaffolding collapse, especially in New York City, you have a huge issue here with this. Not only if you're a worker, you're going to die, you could be held criminally liable fairly easy in New York. Now, company could be held criminally liable also. So this is all the stuff that you have to go and consider here with all this. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Maybe one day we'll have a lengthy discussion on suspended scaffolds because I tell you what, I'm uh, fascinated with that. So uh, how much time do I have left here? And... I know that time is wrong. I have to keep refreshing this. So that's all I have this week. I'm, uh, if I can, I will be on tomorrow for a special Saturday broadcast uh, on uh, your favorite streaming platform, right? Uh, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, for whatever reason, Twitch was not logging in tonight. I don't know why. Uh, that happens sometimes. So for Safety Wars... This is Jim Polzel. Oh, and by the way, there are stories this week about the national anthem. 
uh, on broadcasts like this uh, or on the news and some other places in society. We normally finish with our regular disclaimer, right? And we talk about our, uh, we play the national anthem of the uh, uh, United States and often Canada for our Canadian listeners. So, uh, I'm, no, uh, a lot of respect. And if you need safety consulting, give us a call, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. Thanks a lot. We'll see you possibly tomorrow. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers there on Sunday. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.